What's up, guys? This is Rob Pearsall, and I am your host of the Mets Legends cast. Welcome back to a new episode. I, of course, am joined today by my co-host, Alex Carigliano Michelli. And Alex, how are you doing today, bud? Rob, I'm doing well. I'm tired. <laughs> I feel like my Wednesdays are always so long. Uh, particularly Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Started, um, Rob, I started baseball practice today. I heard, I heard. How's everything going? You making those kids do some sprints, getting that cardio in? Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, universally around like a lot of our teams. When I talk to either of the coaches, they talk about how a lot of our students don't like to put in the like the conditioning work in. They just want to play, right? They just want to go out there and get on the field and hit the ball around. Or and so I did this. I got kind of onto my my box. My, what do you call it? A salt box? That's ridiculous. Whatever. Soap box. Soap box. <laughs> <laughs> You got on your got soap on the box. Salt, the salt box. And I got on this, I got on my soapbox and I go, you know, I went to the playoff basketball game yesterday. It was our school's first playoff basketball game. And, you know, the guys played hard and they kind of made it a game at the end, even though it was still a 20 point loss, but it felt more respectable. But no matter what, like scheme, players, like skill, didn't matter. We were going to play at a disadvantage because those guys were bigger and stronger than us. Well, and you know it's going to take say. a lot of commitment. Yes, you know what, what they, they say. say. What they do they say, say, Rob? Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. I think that's the quote. You know, Friday night. Maybe, maybe that is it. You know, um, and and you saying that makes me think of uh, you know realize realize real lies. She lied. No, she believed he lied. Remember that, like in the in the parentheses, like in yeah. she she believed like, <laughs> oh, like yeah, it was like that. he lied. Read between read between the lines, y'all. You know, wake, stay wake woke. Up open sheeple. up your third eye. Open up your fourth eye. Wake up, sheeple. That, wake up, sheeple. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, Alex. So all that going on, <laughs> Alex. Yes. How how are you enjoying spring training so far? Spring training is such a relief just like throwing the other day it was on the weekend it might have been like right after we recorded last and like the day after and i'm sitting here uh, on the couch and we're like and me and my wife are like oh man it's like really i don't know what to put on we watched all of our shows and then i just kind of perked up i said wait a minute and i put the tv on and i put on the spring training game <laughs> and she's like oh my god and it was sure it was sure to start I was like, this, I'm so happy right now. You know, did you, did you see, uh, do you follow pitching ninja on Twitter? I do. I love pitching ninja. Shout out to my fellow Rob, Rob Friedman. Yes. But Eric's going to kill me for popping that bee right there. Uh, <laughs> uh, you popping bees. Yo, know, we, we're just popping bees over here. Bzz, pop. Uh, but anyway, he posted a video because we, we talked about it last week, but the pitch clock, he posted a video of Pedro Baez, who is notoriously a slow pitcher. Like he's, he's, he normally takes a while to throw a pitch, but it was an overlaid inning. I think it was the Seattle game, one of the Seattle games from earlier this week or last week, but he overlaid an entire half inning 
over Pedro Baez throwing one pitch from like a couple years ago. And I was like, wow. I couldn't believe it. I, I thought it was an exaggeration, but it was actually like side by side. The Mariners completed half an inning in the same time that it took Pedro Baez to throw one pitch. It's just like insane. Obviously, it was like he was throwing over. He threw over to second a couple times, but he stepped off the mound like the batter called time. Oh, but it took like it took like three minutes for him to to throw one pitch. Right, because he would do that, and then the batter would step out of the box. Because I know which video you're talking about. There was another version where it was how many inside the park home runs can Jose Altuve hit before he throws one pitch, and I think yeah. he got up to like six, six or seven, six or seven. It's crazy. So I'm happy to I'm happy to be rid of that. Yeah, I mean, I think that you look at like I know we talked about this last week, and I'm I'm not fully adapted to the pitch clock yet it's going to take me a little while because to me it still feels a little rushed but you look at like like mark burley he threw he threw like a complete game or it might have even been like his perfect game in like under three hours or something um so i think at the very least like it, it will eliminate some of that like batter stepping out adjusting his batting gloves pitcher stepping off batter calling time like that dead space in games will be gone. And like, you're not going to have situations like Pedro Baez. And I think that's what I like about the pitch clock, but it's going to take some time to get used to it. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because I, I was reflecting. I always listen to the last episode of the podcast. So I was reflecting on my argument about the pitch clock and I focused too much on time of game and not enough on just pace of play because you're going to have your games that extend anyway. There's, whether it's you know you have long innings sometimes from you know a lot, a lot of hits being had or extra innings you know it happens but it's the it's that whole pace of play thing that that's key here and getting rid of those dead moments so I'm glad you just brought that up yeah i mean you know i'm sure that we'll talk about it a lot as the season progresses but by the time that it's may or whatever i'm sure that we'll both be used to it it'll just be part of the experience of watching a game but Spring training's been really fun. I think that a big thing that everyone's kind of talking about right now is Ronnie Mauricio, who's having a really excellent spring after a very strong Dominican Winter League, a.k.a. LIDOM or LIDOM or L-I-D-O-M, however you want to pronounce it. But he actually won the MVP honors from the LIDOM in the Dominican Winter League this past year, and he's really continued mashing as spring training has gone on three home runs in seven game, seven at-bats, I think Anthony DiComo was saying earlier today, which is Wednesday we're recording. By the time that this is released, it might even be more than that, but he's got off to a very strong start so far. And uh, Alex, how, how are you feeling about Mauricio so far? You know, uh, I take part in the discourse. I saw this little Twitter argument, which I have to learn to stay out of them, but I like being right. And there was a little Twitter argument where someone was insisting that Ronnie Mauricio was unfairly being overshadowed by Brett Beatty and that he is the biggest threat to be the starting third baseman uh, for the Mets this year, which was a ridiculous claim. But you un- but you understand the hype. There's there's a lot of discourse on him right now because the dude is huge. That home run he hit, what was it, on Saturday, it was a 450-foot bomb 
that reached as high as a hundred feet high. Like he launched it. He it was it was a no doubter right off the bat. It was incredible. You could hear the pop. The the kid is strong. And I'm looking at I'm uh we made like a little like thing here. A little thing here, and uh, Rob has like uh, up like the stats and everything and important things to to look at, and his his stats from the Dominican League, the Dominican Winter League. He had 15 doubles, 31 RBIs, 54 hits. He was the MVP of the Dominican Winter League. Um, he's starting off the spring training hot right now. You could argue that no one's having, in terms of just pure baseball, no one's having a better winter total than Ryan Mauricio right now. I think he's totally, I think he kind of fell off the earth a little bit. No one was really talking about Mauricio towards the end of the year anymore. He was just, when are we going to trade him? He wasn't on prospect lists. He was kind of dropping off. And now he's let it be known that, hey, I could still hit. And, you know, don't forget about me. (laughs) That's what he's he's going, don't forget about me. Hey, don't forget uh, about me. I'm Ronnie Mauricio. Hey, I'm Ronnie. Oh, I hit, I hit the bigger homer. Ow. I blast the baseballs <laughs> into space. Oh. Spaghetti. Um, I'm, I'm Ronnie Mauricio. Oh. <laughs> oh. And right now he has three home runs. He's Ronnie more three CO. Which is what our podcast is called today. Thank, thanks to Alex. Which, yeah, at, le- at least in our little inside joke while we record right now but we what just i'm stay getting making at, little things yeah but what i'm getting at is as is, is ronnie's killing it right now but rob we need to temper our, our expectations no yeah so i think that and I, I really hate to be like a debbie downer or i'm not trying to be but i don't i, I like not to go against the grain too much but i think that it's important that fans temper their expectations about Ronnie Mauricio just a little bit. And there's a couple of reasons why. And I want to give a little bit of a hat tip to my buddy Jordan Grossman for tweeting this out. But he makes a really good point, and it's why I wanted to talk about it today. But Ronnie Mauricio is 21. I believe he's turning 22 this season. He's very young. It just it seems like he's been around forever because he kind of has – but that's only because he signed when he was a youngster. He was 16, and so he's been around for a long time. The Mets farm system hasn't been great for the last several years, so he's been a guy that I think people have just known about because he's in a lot of Topps products, baseball cards. Like He's a guy that has been in the top 30 Mets prospects for a really long time, so fans just know who he is. Yeah, he was but a think- teenager when he came in. Yeah, he was he was been around for a while, and uh, he signed a, a really massive deal when he first signed with the Mets. So I think, but I think even now, like recency bias is really taking control of the situation. Where it's like, yes, he had a really strong Dominican Winter League. He won the MVP award. Um, he's got off to a really good start in the spring training so far. But there's not. I I don't think it's should be expected. Or is it really reasonable that Mauricio breaks camp with the team and heads north? Truthfully, I don't even know if Mauricio is going to play at all in the majors this year. He might. He might get called up later in the year if there is an injury or two. Like he might. He might get a chance to play. But overall, Mauricio would really be okay if he spent the entire year in AAA. He's he's twenty one, twenty two years old, and I think another big thing with Mauricio is that. 
there are flaws in his game. You know, he's a big, powerful guy. He could he could smack a baseball out of the park, no doubt about it. He had 20-plus home runs in double-A this past year. But Ronnie Mauricio has a career slash line in the minor leagues of 261, 300, 421. He doesn't walk a lot. He strikes out a lot. And he doesn't really have a position. You know, he's not a guy that has really played good defense. He probably should be moved to the outfield at some point. Maybe he DHs and you you get maybe a guy who maybe he draws comparisons to like Adelise Garcia or something like that, which would be really good. If he could be like a three wins above replacement player, I mean, I think that's a feather in the Mets cap. That's that's fine. But I think fans right now are so attached to the, the idea that Ronnie Mauricio is going to be this next big superstar, and I just don't really see it right now. I hope that he ends up being that for the Mets, but right now it's like he's still – there's a lot of things that are not really being considered, and truthfully, he hasn't really – the homers that he's hit, apart from the one they hit on Wednesday – have been kind of meatballs for the most part. I mean, it doesn't take away from the fact that it's impressive and how strong he is, but you need to see him in a game where he's facing actual major league players and he's facing these really crazy off-speed pitches with a lot of sweep, with a lot of downward plane, you know, a lot of RPMs and stuff. And I think now it's like we're kind of jumping to conclusions a little bit with Mauricio. So that's just my take on it. I'm rooting for the guy. I really hope that he comes out, he has a great, you know, start to the season in AAA, and maybe he could he could make this team better at some point in the future. But right now, it's like let's temper our expectations a little bit. That's just my opinion on it. Yeah, he doesn't walk nearly enough. I was looking at those winter league stats, and you know, despite all of the offense he was creating, he only had an 804 OPS, which is fine. You know, that might be the OPS you get from your typical three-win player, you know? Uh, someone who's a solid guy to have on your team. Not every Mets, not every prospect has to be a superstar. If you, you know, just like a, a really good above-average major league player is still a, a success story. But that, you know, that comes from having a really, a really low on-base percentage. And from, a, from your power hitters... You know, pitchers are supposed to be afraid to pitch to these, you know, scary big power hitters, which should then boost their walk to- totals and they should have like a high OBP, you know? So the fact that it's this low is showing that, you know, despite the home runs, he's not exactly dominating his leagues because pitchers know how to get to him. And plus, we have to think of what stage we are in spring training. Uh, this is the phase where pitchers are throwing at most two innings and they are just experimenting with the stuff. They're seeing what they got. They're, they're wondering what ball has movement right now, what, what, what pitch has movement right now, uh, where should they be focusing their efforts and experimenting with their timing in regards to the new pitch clock. So, you know, you get a lot of no names up on the mound and, you know, your your guys who could hit and know how to smack one are going to do that. And Mauricio is one of those guys. And I'm not saying all of this because I don't believe in him. I've always kind of believed in him. I'm also a known prospect hugger. And I've also been one of those who's been wondering, when are we going to inc- include him in a trade? If, if anything, this boosts his value, right? Last year, 
like I don't know if they were holding on to Mauricio like they were with you know Beatty and Alvarez and maybe to a lesser extent um, Vientos, but I could imagine that Mauricio was one of those players who maybe the Mets were hoping to get like a one for one swap, you know, uh, in. Like you had Crow Armstrong straight up for Baez, right? So maybe they're thinking like a Mauricio straight up for uh, Contreras or something. And maybe that's too high level, high profile of a player. But if he if he plays like this as someone who's ultimately blocked that shortstop for the Mets, maybe he does become a key trade piece that you know you don't. Like, I mean, I'm I'm still upset about Crow Armstrong. Like, but if he's like for a, a part of a good trade that like makes sense for the team going forward, that's that's what you want. If he, and I think, yeah, oh, sorry, go ahead, go on. No, go no, ahead. I was, no, gonna okay, say, I was gonna I was gonna go add on to that right field uh, topic. I know they don't want to move him off shortstop right now. Buck had this quote saying, "Typically with shortstop, because that's your most challenging, that's your most challenging position." Like, like any of these major league baseball players, they played shortstop in, in, in high school too because that's where your top athletes are. So you typically want them to play off of shortstop. So, you know, maybe, you know, he's, he's, he's looking good and then they decide to give him some looks in right field and they find out he has a really strong arm and he's actually able to locate some balls. And so why not, you know, and then he could add to the team. That's great. But he's, he's not a third baseman by any means. No, he's not, and and I think some people are like, you could have Mauricio play third, you could move Beatty to left field, but the thing is with, with, with Mauricio is that there were certain points last year where I was just like, I think the Mets could maybe get a good reliever for him, you know, like I didn't really think that, like, and I, I think that like, he, if he can continue to build on this, he's he's an asset for the team, Um Especially if, like, you know, if he can cut down his strikeout rate, if he could walk a little bit more, then maybe you have something with Mauricio. But, yeah, I think that, if anything, it's like maybe he he builds value where he can be packaged in a deal for a really good player at the deadline. Because, like we've talked about a little bit, the Mets did not sign Carlos Correa. You know, that didn't, that didn't happen. So they didn't really get a huge upgrade offensively from any like they didn't have when when that fell through they didn't they didn't bring in another upgrade offensively you know a big one at least but if the Mets are serious about maybe pursuing Otani maybe Mauricio is part of that deal you're gonna have to give up a lot more for Otani which makes sense but like the more that he he continues to produce the better and maybe a team sees him as a DH you know or maybe he ends up going to the outfield and he looks good enough where he could be serviceable. You could hide him in a corner over there. It's fine. But I think it's fine. And, and listen, even if, if the Mets decide to keep him and he becomes a good, you know, a good hitter for them, that's all fine. But yeah, I mean, I just, I just think that we need to kind of temper our expectations, kind of reel it back in a little bit, be happy with what he's doing, but also be like, he's 21, 22. He can still see, he could still do be due for some seasoning in the minors and if he continues to develop and he helps us great if he is part of a trade package that helps us great or i shouldn't say awesome not on the team but the mets rather um mm. then that's all that's all good stuff 
but you know it, it is exciting, and I think that's the, the fun thing about spring training is that you do see these guys that you're not going to see every day in the majors, you know, to begin the year, or you know, guys that are developing still. So it's still good, and it's still fun to see players hit dingers. You know, as Pete Alonso would say, you know, well, he says grannies are sick, but home runs are sick too. So that's kind of where I'm at with uh, with Mauricio. But uh, unless you have anything else to add on that, Alex, I wanted to. I think that's a good segue into something I wanted to talk about with Pete Alonso. But let's do uh, it. You want to do it? All right. So uh, Pete Alonso, hell of a guy. Uh, I, I read this piece from Anthony DiComo on Wednesday. Thought it was really interesting. And did you know about this, Alex? I was. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if you saw that piece today or not. But basically, Anthony DiComo wrote an article about how Pete Alonso is learning Spanish or he has been learning Spanish over the last you know few years or whatever. But I thought it was a really awesome piece. And those are the kind of pieces that I really like to see where it's kind of the off the field aspect of it, but is a really big testament to Alonzo's character. He wants to learn Spanish better so that he can communicate with his Latino teammates. Yeah, I must have missed this. That's, that's so cool to hear. I, I'm currently using Duolingo right now too, trying to learn more Spanish. I'm on my fourth unit uh, to help me better connect my uh, with my students. And I uh, I have like a running gag with a lot of that with a lot of them now, where I'll throw in like an obvious Spanish word uh, while I'm explaining something, and then kind of like wink at them and say Duolingo. But um, yeah, that's really that's I mean that really just shows the the leadership that Alonzo has. I mean he's totally. A, a down-to-earth dude. I'm so tired of, you know, whenever there's like a big game or something in the news about Alonzo, there's all these, I don't want to say haters because it's such a lame thing to say, but, all, you know, all these lames come out on on Twitter, bad-mouthing, you know, Alonzo saying how much they hate him. And I think it's just because he's, what, I think that all comes from him taking himself a little, what, too seriously during the you know the home run derby like the the dude is a the dude makes his teammates happy like they genuinely like him i've never heard i mean I've, you're never going to hear anyone say a bad thing about about one of their teammates but it's always something very glowing and even just uh, i read this article about JD Davis and Michael Conforto recently in the athletic where they were discussing how they could potentially be huge for the giants this year um, JD Davis, and this might have been something lingering from the fact that the organizations literally couldn't talk to their players during the offseason last year because of the lockout. But how JD Davis was kind of suffering through a hand injury all year and it never got better, and how it's feeling completely better now. And and, and him and Conforto were being very, very cool, uh, like reflective on their time with the Mets, and they had no hard feelings, which is so refreshing. I feel like whenever someone leaves in the past, it's always like a weird breakup, and everyone's mad. But they were, you know, happy about about it, saying that the Mets gave them like any chance. But both of them, they were being talked specifically about that winning streak that the Mets kind of went on late in the summer in 2019, where it looked like they might make a playoff push, and they were just like laughing about how Pete had kind of hyped up the whole clubhouse. He was, you know, going for the rookie home run record at the time too and ripping everyone's shirts off and how, you know, there was that one famous time where Conforto got his shirt ripped off and he wasn't wearing anything underneath and he kind of he kind of laughed about it when 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 they brought it up in the interview and he was like, "Yeah, you know, I kind of knew that. I kind of did that expecting 
that Pete was going to rip my shirt off. <laughs> <laughs> I love Conforto, man. I'm, I'm really sad that he's gone. But I think it's a, it's a really good point where I think both of these guys, and we're getting a little bit off track here, but both J.D. Davis and Michael Conforto kind of have these fresh starts with the Giants now. And I really hope that both of them succeed because that 2019 season was really fun. And that was around the time where they had the cookie club. I don't know if you remember that. I think Anthony DeComo also did that article about how during the midst of that season, because there were so many ups and downs, the Mets formed the cookie club to kind of like get their mind off of the day-to-day, like their job essentially, playing games. And they would they would order insomnia cookies and they would sit around. I think it was J.D. Davis, Michael Conforto, Dominic Smith, Pete Alonzo, and maybe Jeff McNeil. Like, because they're all around the same age. So, and they're, they're all big parts of the offense. So I think that all of them just kind of stuck together and got along. But they would have these cookie nights where they would just eat insomnia cookies and talk about things that weren't baseball related. And they became very close in doing so, or, you know, they, if they were close already, but they, it was, it was just one of those things where they bonded over that, that 2019 team, I really think they were really fun and it stunk that they didn't make the playoffs, but that team was, was a lot of fun. They had a lot of talent on that team. Pete season was great. Jacob deGrom was awesome. Uh, it was really fun to to acquire Marcus Stroman at the deadline, and they had a, such a good rotation. So that team would have been fun to watch in the playoffs, but um, just kind yeah, of and, go- and, and, oh, and, yeah. and, and but it, you know yeah, and what you know just the good vibes and back to back to Pete Alonso, he he's kind of really. Sp- cemented his place with the Mets since that season and his former teammates can't even say a bad word about him you know he still ha- seems like he has a huge influence on them and I'm really excited for the Giants to come to town in in late June and, and you know see those guys again and and you know like really reflect on on those good times with them you know like the Conforto and his awesome 2020 and his Everything he added in 2015 uh, during that playoff run, you know, he's not talked about enough on his role for for that World Series team. The, you know, just the good vibes all around. That was an awesome pitching staff in 2019. You had, you know, Wheeler dealing Stroman as your fifth guy that season. It was was a lot of good vibes and you know it really has been even if 2021 was was a garbage heap and 2022 ended poorly uh it it, the vibes in in flushing queens cannot be better ever since ever since pete came around so if i know steve cohen listens to this podcast he's he's really big on us um hey steve Um, hey steve hey steve uh extend you gotta extend pete it's it's time. Throw him the throw him the reasonable bag. If you if you need a primer on on what to offer him, I suggest you go back like what like five episodes where we discuss a possible what a deal for Pete could look like, and you could just mm-hmm. use that outline. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and kind of to what you were saying about earlier, I don't really understand the Pete Alonzo hate that you see on Twitter from the Braves fans of the world and the San Diego Padres fans of the world. It's like, it's almost kind of um, hypocritical because there's so many, there's so much like not pressure, but I think players like, like, like you'll hear the argument 
that guys need to have more fun and this and that. And then when Alonzo shows any kind of inkling of like having his own personality, people are like, he's so corny. He's so unlikable, this and that. When it's like the guy just loves playing baseball and like he's never done anything malicious. Like he just like he sprinted off the field yesterday so that he could have more time to get prepared for his at bat. And people were like, there's not a cornier player out there. It's like, just let the guy be like, he's a good clubhouse guy. He's always talked to the media whenever it's been good or bad, you know, like through tough times and through good times, he's done really good charity, charitable stuff in the community. He's been great with the fans. He loves the Mets organization and he just, and he plays well. Like, like he, he, he's always wanted to be out there. He's always looking to improve and he has fun and people are like, he's so unlikable. He's so corny. Like fuck Pete Alonzo. Give me a break. You know, like the guy's just a good player. And then you have this article from Anthony DeComo where he's talking about how he wants to learn Spanish better so he can communicate with his teammates in in the article. You know, it talks about Pete Alonso, who I didn't know this, but he has he has a Spanish background. So he had like Spanish grandparents like from Spain. And so he would talk to them a little bit, kind of like a little bit in Spanish and then took classes in school growing up because he's from Florida. There's a big Latino population. So Spanish was mandatory in the classroom. Like, you know, he took Spanish class. Um, And then, but he remembers like in the minor leagues how he went to the mound one time during like a mound visit and everyone was speaking Spanish and he didn't understand what was going on uh, or he didn't like fully understand the the language. And so he wanted to find a way that he could communicate with his teammates better. And so he's been taking it upon himself to learn Spanish more. And Francisco Lindor was talking about how in his experience as a professional player, he can only remember one other player in the minor leagues that when he was, when he was coming up that would do that did the same thing. So it's not common um, and Alonzo was like talking about how he was like, you have, you know, half the clubhouse who speaks English and doesn't speak Spanish and vice versa. He's like, how do you bridge that gap? So he wants to have it be one of those things where he could be a guy that can communicate to everyone and people can communicate to him too. So I thought that was really cool and really interesting. Um, and it just kind of is another thing where it's like, Pete's such a good guy. And I think it's just weird that he gets the hate that he does. Yeah, I really... I, I just love this story so much, and uh, the the part of my brain that skips to what what negative narrative is going to be taken from this is you know there's going to be that weird you know there's going to be that weird contingent of like Long Island Mets fans who you know if, if that's a tweet you know with the headline they're going to comment under it like maybe Pete should be focusing on his at bats and getting better than trying to learn Spanish. That's why these people. That's why these guys should uh, learn English instead and not be a distraction in the clubhouse. You know, I could just imagine some lameo saying that. You know, like yeah. remember when remember when Syndergaard was doing his rehab stuff and he started the uh, the Noah's Book Club on Instagram. Yeah. And if you went through the comments, it was all maybe you should <laughs> maybe you should focus a little less on this reading. And focus more on your rehab, and it's like my guy. Like, what is he throwing all? Day? Like, what do you think? What do you think that entails? It's almost like players aren't allowed to do anything besides be athletes, right? Like, but think about it. It's like it's like we have jobs. Yeah, everyone has a job, but their job. Like, and I guess some people, it's their entire life. But like, I don't know. Like, I enjoy going on hikes and going urban exploring and going to 
watch the devils play or getting a cup of coffee. Like imagine I was getting a cup of coffee and someone was like, why don't you just stick to baseball writing? What are you getting coffee for? You need coffee? Why aren't you writing an article right now? It's the same thing when someone's like, Noah, why aren't you, why aren't you throwing a hundred pitches every hour and you're reading this book? You're lazy. So I could definitely see someone criticizing Alonzo for this, especially like some random Braves fan for some reason, it's going to be a problem about how he's corny for learning Spanish. Yeah. Just like all, all while chopping in the corner. <laughs> yes. Laughing and chopping with blooper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> laughing and chopping going, why is he learning Spanish? All for, was it Liberty media? Yeah. Ugh. Um, but I thought it was interesting in the article, too, before we move on to the next topic. But Joey Votto also has done something similar to Alonzo, where he's you know, picked up Spanish to communicate better with his teammates. So um, just kind of another thing that makes me love Joey Votto a lot. Yeah, you know, I mean, once again, that type of thing just shows such great leadership. You know, like back to that, um, that anecdote about how Lindor said he only knows one other player from his minor league stint who, uh, who did that. Do you know who that player is? They didn't mention it in the article, unfortunately. Yeah, it's um, it's President Barack Obama. He played for the New York Metropolitans. He was he was in the minor league system uh, with Francisco Lindor and learned Spanish and you know that type of thing was such one the track to becoming president. You know, a lot of a lot of strong leadership. And the manager of that team, Albert Einstein. Look it up. Look it up. It's true. We didn't Look just make up. that up. Amazing. Um, but, uh, <laughs> Alex, I wanted to move on to talk about uh, the bullpen. I know it's something we've oh, talked yeah. about a couple times in the past, and the Mets did a lot of work on the bullpen this this offseason because you had a lot of moving parts. But they did do a good job of bringing back the guys that were very crucial for them in 2022. That was Edwin Diaz. That was Adam Adovino. Drew Smith is incumbent, but you had some notable departures too. You know, Seth Lugo left. He went to the Padres. Joe Ali Rodriguez went to the Red Sox. And so the Mets had to fill some gaps. And you're seeing some of that come to fruition a little bit in spring training, even though it's already, you know, it, it's, it's, it's still new. But a couple guys I wanted to talk about were um, that have pitched in the last few days as of this recording, are Grant Hartwig, TJ McFarland, and John Curtis. And so Grant Hartwig is a guy who was a non-drafted free agent. He signed with the Mets. Uh, he pitched today. Baseball, I believe it was Baseball America, did a really good article on him that you guys should check out. But he hit 97 miles per hour, and it had 18 inches of run when he pitched the ninth inning today. Um, and he was someone who was throwing 90 to 92 miles per hour in college. So he's worked his way up through the Mets system. He's a guy who I really think the Mets will see that we'll see in the bullpen this year for the Mets. He's a guy who is in the top 30 prospects for the team. So he's someone that I'm very interested in following. Uh, TJ McFarland, the lefty, he's someone who maybe could pair with Brooks Raley in the bullpen if he continues to have a strong spring maybe breaks camp with the team, but he is someone who changed his slider. He signed with the Mets as a non-drafted uh, or non-roster invite. Uh, invite. Um, his horizontal break for his career has only been five inches, but in his Mets debut, he had a 21-inch sweeper. Um, 
and it said this is all thanks to Jacob Resnick of SNY, by the way. He does excellent work um, on the Mets farm system, but he he's done a great job of posting about these relievers. But he notes that last year's slider had a 16.7% whiff rate, and similar pitches to the one that he's throwing had above 30%. So that could be a really big weapon for someone like McFarland. And then lastly, before I get your thoughts, Alex, John Curtis is a guy who the Mets signed last year. He missed all of last season with an injury, but he's bounced around. He was on the, I believe he was on the the Rays. He was with the Marlins for a bit, but he touched 96 on the radar gun. He had a couple whiffs on his slider. So he's another guy that I think is worth watching. But what I really like about what the Mets have done with their bullpen so far is that they brought in the guys that are going to be there in the in, you know, in in the crucial spots in Diaz, Adovino, David Robertson. You have Drew Smith, and then you have a few open spots where you have these intriguing guys that are in camp that the Mets have acquired via trade, Rule 5 draft, free agent signings that are going to compete for those last few spots. And I think that the Mets are doing such a good job of building the bullpen the right way. So just wanted to talk about that a little bit. But Alex, you know, what are your thoughts on all that? Yeah, I mean, there's really no wrong answer for that last part. The, yeah, the, the Mets, they have solidified the back end, like, really hard. Like, the fact that Drew Smith is pretty much, like, he he's not your he's still a high leverage reliever you know he'll be that guy who goes in on the other day like but he's not like your locked in setup guy um, like he how he kind of floated with last May you know you have Ottavino who's proven himself there you have um, David Robertson uh, that the John Curtis stuff is the part that's really um, intriguing to me he wh- what happened that he why he he was recovering from Tommy John still. Is that what it was, and what, that's why he didn't pitch last year? Or like they signed him knowing that he was probably not going to pitch last year, right? They signed him to a two-year deal knowing that he was not going to pitch. I believe that he had Tommy John is why he missed all of last year, but let me look it up. Um, so he, he, yeah, he tore his UCL, so that's why in, in 2021 while he was with the Brewers – um, and the Mets signed him prior to spring training last year. And so the Mets signed him to a two-year deal, knowing that he'd be back for the 2023 season. And so he's a guy who's bounced around. He's 29. But he's been a pretty serviceable reliever. And so he's someone who I've been very curious to see pitch because I remember when they signed him last year, I thought he w- it was kind of a sneaky good signing. And so to see him go out there excuse me, and pitch well has definitely been really fun. And really interesting. Yeah, um, and I just find that really intriguing because I feel like you don't typically see those type of signings unless someone is really high profile and and they think that they'll come back strong. Like, like you don't see that unless someone thinks that if, if they don't get this guy now, they're not going to be able to wait around until he's healthy. You know, like Kevin yeah, Durant exactly. was coming from this, coming back from this ugly not even coming back from he had just suffered that ugly awful achilles tear in the playoffs and so organizations knew that he was going to be unavailable for probably two years while recovering and it was still um a race to sign him you know otherwise that's something that's potentially career ending i mean even conforto couldn't land a contract last year with the questions around his shoulder you know 
I, you know, why couldn't a team have said, all right, we'll sign him for a two year, um, 20, you know, a $30 million deal, knowing that he wasn't going to play in that first year to contend that, yeah, it's like we're spending 30 million on one year. And like, if that's the type of contract he wants, you know, he couldn't get that. So the fact that there was this kind of good faith going into John Curtis makes me think that they, uh, they see a lot in him. And I, and it makes me feel that he's probably a lock for one of those spots, which leaves the other two spots open. I know they want to have guys with options. So, but there's also, I don't think Steven writings has options. Um, I think I don't think Resnick is that the guy's name that you mentioned. I don't think he he's the one that added the sweeper, right? I don't think he has many options. I think Zach Green is one of the who they picked up from the Yankees. I think he might be one of those odd men out. Although he was the Rule Five pick, right? Yeah, he, or, he was. Yeah. But I th- I think that like he's someone who what he has going for him is that he is a Rule Five pick. But I don't at this point even think that he is as good as Grant Hartwig could be. So he might be a guy who is offered back to the Yankees if his spring training is not that great, or maybe early in the season is not that great. But maybe he'll break camp with the team. He 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 really I think Zach Green is just one of those guys who is kind of. Uh, like a Steven Nagosik type guy where it's like he could just be a fill in, you know, in the minor or in the majors from time to time, but mostly spend time in triple a, which is an okay guy to have. But yeah, Steven ridings. I mean, they have, they traded for Jeff Brigham and Eliezer right, Hernandez Brigham. from the Marlins in the off season. They, they claimed Sam Coonrod off of waivers. He hit 99 miles per hour on the gun uh, on Wednesday. So he's someone who, who is worth following. Also, I think it's kind of funny. This is just a little aside, but on the Mets 40 man roster, Edwin Diaz's name is listed as Edwin O Diaz. Like, <laughs> I don't know why, but I just noticed that Edwin O Diaz, uh, did he, did he change his name? I don't know what's going on, but it literally says on the randomly- Mets website right now. I love it when players randomly add an initial or like a senior at the end, you know? Yeah. Yeah, or like like D Gordon, D Strange Gordon. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I don't know why that I don't Imagine, know why making me laugh so much. I'm like almost crying right now. Why do I find that so funny? <laughs> Imagine that's just Edwin like Edwin Diaz wants to be Edwin O Diaz this year. The, the, he's actually Irish. Uh, if you look closely, there's an apostrophe there. He's, he's, his name is Odiaz. <laughs> Ed, oh, there comes the closer, Edwin Odiaz. Oh, oh, but Jesus. Edwin Odiaz struck out to the side. Oh, man. Oh. That's good. That's, that's real good. Um, but yeah, anyway, you have Zach Green and Bryce Montez Dioka is a guy that we saw a little bit last year. He's a, a another great guy, guy that I think I totally is good. Forgot about. Yeah. Yeah. And then Steven Ridings. So there's there's a lot of options. And I think that I'm really excited for the way that the Mets bullpen is going to shake out. But um, yeah, unless it, you have, it just oh, feels it, it feels so much deeper than last year where you had uh, we had guys like. Um, Oh my gosh. It was just so so many different names coming in where I'd be like, oh, this guy, this guy's going to be coming in for these late, you know, sometimes it came through, but like a lot of these guys that like, like Yoan Lopez, like, like guys like him, Jake Reed, I feel like a lot of them feel like they had bigger impacts 
um, on this season than they did because they'd be they like all those guys had at least one kind of key like Mets moment that makes him a Mets legend that makes you hold him in your heart like like Adonis Medina too. I like in my head when I think of him, I think of him you know getting that save or you know like really saving the game for us. And then you look and he has a 608 ERA from last year or Yoan Lopez with a 573. And um, I think I think a lot of these guys that we named are going to have a lot of those key Mets moments without the high ERAs, you know? Like it, it, it feels... And Tommy Hunter. Tommy Hunter is, yeah, uh, Tommy Hunter, is in on a minor one. league deal. So he's a guy... He's someone who it just seems like he really likes playing for the Mets because this is his – I know that they – he was with the team in 2021. Then I think they, like, traded for him in a minor deal last year, and then now he's back as an NRI. So he likes being a Met, and he's a guy that – he doesn't pitch all the time, but he can come in, he can eat a couple innings. Um, so, yeah, Tommy Hunter is a really good guy to have around also i just want to say when i was in the clubhouse he was such a character like such a nice guy tommy hunter um just has like a really good sense of humor seems like a super down-to-earth guy so seems like he seems like a really nice guy he feels like Mm -hmm. he feels like the the type of uncle who would take the time out of his day to to show you his golf swing like here's here's how you hold the club he's like here you go here's a beer here's a beer don't tell your mother uh, um, but uh, unless you have anything else you want to add to that, Alex, I'm, let's, I'm good. let's move on to remembering some guys. And I think that we should go back to just like the 20 question format, um, like just yes or no questions. Yeah. Um, you know, as Eric pointed out, we kind of strayed away from that a little bit last week, but I have my guy locked and loaded. I think you said you have your guy locked and loaded. So I have my guy. Who would would you like me to guess first, or would you like to guess first? I think I guessed first the last two times. Why don't you guess first? All right, let's do this. Well, so shout out to my New Jersey Devils who are beating the crap out of the Colorado Avalanche right now, five to one. Let's go tri-state area. Yeah. All right. So I'm ready. Is this player from the 2000s? Uh, the aughts? N- no. Okay. Are they from the 2010s? No. Are they from the 2020s? Yes. Oh, so they're recent. Okay. Were they part of the 2020 like pandemic year team? No. Okay. Were they on the team this past year? Yes. Okay. Was... Was last year their first year with the team? Yes. Okay. Are they a pitcher? Yes. Relief pitcher? Yes. Okay. Was it someone that was like an integral part of the bullpen or were they kind of like, were they just like there for a little bit or? It's not a yes or no question. Were they an integral part of the bullpen? Crap. Um, is your definition of that for the entire season? Yeah, Which, or like a majority of the season? Were they like a, a guy that was called upon often? I'm going to say yes. Hmm. And and so 2022, are they still with the team? No. Okay. Who is in the bullpen? And I, I might change my answer from the integral thing to a no. 
Okay. My were they a lefty? No, no. So they were not an integral part of the bullpen. Is it Sam Clay? No. Okay. I don't remember if he's a lefty or right. I think he might be a lefty. He might have been like the lone lefty, like him you know, one of the lone lefties. Anyway, yeah, no. I'm gonna assume like it wasn't Adonis Medina or Yoan Lopez, because we talked we just talked about them. Yeah, good assumption. No. Okay. So I'm trying to think of who was out in the bullpen. Joely Rodriguez. I miss him so much. No. Was it him? No. No, no, it wasn't. But there's okay. no there's definitely no room for him on this team, but but I miss him. I wish we I wish we could keep him as like a uh you know, like a like an audience guy, someone who goes around asking questions. Anyway, continue. He was great. Um, let me rattle my brain a little bit. I'm trying to think because I'm a little thrown off too because, like, you said they were not an integral part of the bullpen. It, it's hard to say. Uh, to me, integral means uh, – that's why I wanted to have that clarified. To me, integral means uh, something along the lines of, like, a, like a high-leverage guy. So he wasn't like one of those high leverage guys, but he's he wasn't uh, Adonis Medina, Yoan Lopez type. But he, okay, did he appear in over twenty games? Yes. Okay, so he was there for a bit. Eric's gonna have to cut out this like <laughs> this 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 dead air here, but I'm a little bit stumped. Or add in like a uh, add in a SpongeBob when eternity is. Let's see now. All right, give me give me. A, w- so w- hold on, was he a rookie? Yes. Oh, he was, and he played in over twenty games. He's a reliever, right? He's not yes. a starter. Mm-hmm. Okay. He was a rookie, and he's not with the Mets anymore. Was he traded? Yes. Did they trade him at the deadline? Uh, uh, near the deadline. Who the hell? Who the hell did they trade for? I don't even remember what, what trades. They, oh, uh, <laughs> Thomas. Zip, no way. He only pitched one game. It mm-hmm. wasn't Zapuki. No, and he had he had yeah he had one game. Then he was not a reliever. Yeah. Um, they got Darren Ruff. They got Michael Givens, but that was for a minor leaguer. They got Tyler Naquin, but that was for that was for a couple minor leaguers. Think Burgers. Think Burger. He was a big guy. Yeah. Who the well, hell? Not, oh not, not, he wasn't a big guy, but think. Oh, you you were you were naming acquisitions at the deadline. Oh, Colin Holderman. Colin Holderman, my guy. That's a good, that was a good one. That was a really good one. Uh, you know, I saw him there, and I was like, yeah, that's. That's the guy. He felt like just obscure enough while also being a name enough, you know, where it could like trick you. That was really good, honestly. I because like I I kind of forgot about him a little bit. I liked Holderman a lot, but yeah, he got traded for Vogel back like leading up to the deadline. That's crazy. Yeah, I, mean, I totally it, forgot about him. It was only in well, I guess you know what I I was maybe a little misleading because I said 20 games, but that was total on the season. With the Mets, he had 17 total innings, Mm 17.2. But in the 17 innings, he still had like a 193 ERA ERA plus. I mean, he was good. He was solid. People swear, you know, fans swore up and down that we gave up, 
you know, the the future, you know, closer or, or setup man for the Mets when, when they traded him away. Um, which, you know, it's small sample size. With the with the with the Padres the rest of the way, he um, you know, in ten innings he had a six seven five ERA. So I mean, you know, it's it, these are small sample sizes. Relief roles are very fickle, but you know, instant he he was a huge kind of like crowd favorite. He's tall. He's six seven. He is. That's insane. I thought he six, was seven, like maybe six two. Pounds. Six, I, I thought that I, he was probably like six two. Yeah, I I know I know that um. The uh, homeboy who we who I just brought up before, Tommy Hunter, like I feel like his height is always brought up. I don't remember any you know, waxing poetic of Colin Holdeman being six seven. That's wow. crazy. I really had no idea. But uh, yeah, that was a good one, man. I liked that. Thank you. And I guess now it's my turn to guess. It is. <sighs> okay. Did he play in the twenty tens? No. Did he play in in the uh, 2000s? Yeah. Was he on a playoff team? Yep. The 06 playoff team? Yes, sir. Was he a position player? Yes. Was he an outfielder? No. Is he known as a Met? Um, I wouldn't say necessarily. But a Met fan would know him. A Mets fan would know him. Sean Green? No, he's not an outfielder. Yeah, you said no to that. Okay, so he's an infielder. Yes. Is he middle infield? Yes. Jose Valentin? Yeah, you got it. Oh, snap. That Uh was good, man. That was good. Uh Love Jose Jose Valentin. He was great. He had such a good year in 06. I bring him up all the time. For He was my favorite. When I had, I played the hell out of MLB 07, the show. And for some reason between, you know, like there was David Wright, Beltron and Delgado, who I went crazy with in my season mode and, and my, my own Otani type of pitcher, Don Tomatoes, who was, you know, best pitcher in the league, but also had like a 500 batting average. That's my boy. But Jose Valentin, I moved up into the top of the order. I loved him so much. Don Tomatoes. That is a yeah, great Don. name. That is a great name for a baseball player. <laughs> it, it's it's a good baseball name. I wouldn't be surprised if there was like some, you know, back in the star the barnstorming days, there was you know an Italian immigrant who was unfairly maligned um, named Don Tomatoes or Don quote Tomatoes. Um, Don Babaguchi. Tomatoes Marinara. Yeah, Don Tomatoes Marinara. No relation. No relation. <laughs> well, that was good, man. It took me a long time to guess the legend, and it did not take you very long time, so that was great. Well, you know, Jose Valentin, uh, integral part, not not so obscure, but, you know, still his, his moment with the Mets in the grand scheme, very, you know, brief. Yeah, he was good. He was a flash in the pan that year, but he was solid. And, you but, know, a uh, solid MLB yeah. career, too. So, you yeah, know, he was solid. a good veteran. Uh, anyway, guys, thank you so much for listening. We will catch you next week. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay sexy. Alex, love you, buddy. Love you, Rob.